How are we, church? Tonight's reading comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, starting at chapter 2, verse 25 to 40. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in the arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just look to the Lord uh, in prayer before we look to his word together. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we just thank you for the gift of your spirit and we thank you for your word and we just thank you your spirit opens our hearts and minds to understand that word. We just pray as we look to your word tonight, give us grace to understand what is your saying to us about your son, about ourselves, our relationship with him and our part of your plan and purpose within the world today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For most people, when you talk about Christmas, the thing they talk about is how busy and how full it was. But as I've been thinking about this passage in Luke chapter 2, I just think that our, our Christmases are pretty calm and easy when you compare it to Mary and Joseph. Okay? Think about them on that first Christmas. Here's Mary baby to be expected any time. What does the husband do? Plonks her on a donkey and walks her off about 20 k's. And around Jerusalem where they were, the, the hills go up and down like this. They're all rock and they're all dirt. They end up in Nazareth. The baby is born overnight. They're, they're stuck in a, like in a, in a stable. Uh, they're there, there they are, the first baby. Now, One of the things that happens in people's lives is that the first baby produces chaos in the home. Take my word for it. Um, And it's always great when your children have their first baby because then you can look at them and say, ah, this is payback time. Okay, this is what we went through with you, trying to understand how does this baby work? What's going on here? What's happening here? 
It's not an easy thing. And this was Mary's first baby. And not only did she have this baby and have it in a manger, having travelled all that distance into this place of Bethlehem, but at the same time, the first visitors were the shepherds who came in filthy, dirty and smelling of sheep. And they were tramping all around the place. This was Mary and Joseph's first Christmas. And as you read, as we read the passage we're looking at tonight, that not only were they coming to grips with all of this, they were also coming to grips with, with what the angels had said to them beforehand, before the baby was conceived and the baby born. The angel had said that she's going to have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. His name's going to be Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. There wasn't much more that they knew. They knew the bits of the Old Testament about the Christ who was coming to come, the Messiah who was going to come. But all of this was now being worked out in everyday life. And we know that on the eighth day after Jesus was born, he was, he was circumcised because that was the sign of the covenant of God's people. Abraham, God spoke to Abraham and God said, Abraham, with you and with the generations after you, I'm making a special covenant, a special agreement. You, I will be your God, you will be my people. And the mark of this covenant will be circumcision. And so Jesus, at being born into the Jewish race, was circumcised as a mark of the covenant. When Jesus rises again from the dead and in the book of Acts as we were reading, the mark of being God's people is no longer circumcision. The mark is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Lord. In Christ we now live in the, in the, in the era of what we call the era of grace. The era of grace. Forgiveness and repentance and salvation and eternal life through the gift of Jesus and his death and resurrection for us. And then immediately we read that 40 days later, they had to leave Bethlehem and make their way to Jerusalem, make their way to Jerusalem. Um, I wonder, is there anyone who's ever been to Jerusalem? Anyone? It, it's not the place you'd necessarily go for a holiday. Uh, you, you may go because of the, it's the ancient city and all the rest of it, but it's, it's stony hills, a bundle of stony hills, dirty stony hills, very little can grow. Um, the rainfall is minimal, um, and it, it's not the most pleasant of places you'd want to go. And as I was saying this morning when I was thinking about it, it's not like Wagga, because Wagga even has a beach, Right? <laughs> Jerusalem has no beach even, right? It doesn't even have that. It, it's just out in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. And so they had, but that's where the temple was. That's where David set as the capital city. And so Mary and Joseph bring the babe and they come to Jerusalem on the 40th day. It, it was for the purification rite, the, the religious rites of the mother. And here it appears to be of the child as well. And a sacrifice would be offered for the safe birth of the firstborn son. And the sacrifice for them was two doves, a pair of doves. So what we know of Joseph and Mary at this point, that they're a godly couple. They're a couple who know and love the Lord. And they're a couple who are seeking to do that which is the right thing with their Jewish faith. They were devout and they were committed. They wanted to know God's plan and purpose and they wanted to be part of it. 
Now, it was now while they were there in Jerusalem and coming to the temple that there is this man, Simeon, who appears. Simeon. We're told that he's a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. The other thing with Jerusalem at this time, it was under Roman dominion. They were occupied by Roman forces. Uh, the Romans were fairly ruthless, look, holding down their kingdom. Um, there were the, the army was spread throughout. Any sort of riot beginning to take, the army would be there and squash it immediately. Uh, the army and others saw Jerusalem as the end of the earth, the worst place you could possibly go. And therefore you normally found that those who were in charge of the Roman armies in a place like Jerusalem worked hard to ensure everything was A1 so they could move up the ranks and get out of the place and move closer to Rome or move back to Greece or somewhere like that rather than be stuck in this place, Jerusalem. And so therefore it was under the heavy hand of the Roman authorities in Jerusalem. And at this particular time, there was troublesome times. There was always those who wanted, well, we talk about terrorism today. There was plenty of terrorism then of trying to overthrow the Roman authority. And therefore, the soldiers would come down heavily on whoever was there, no matter whether they were part of the rioting or whether they were not. And Simeon, there, an older man, here in the temple, at this particular time, is there in Jerusalem. We're told about Simeon as an older man, that he was an older man that was looking forward rather than looking backwards. You know, you don't have to be young or old to learn that the way to really move along is to look forward rather than constantly be looking over your shoulder. And so Simeon was one as an older man who was constantly looking for what the next thing was going to be. He, he, he knew God's plan, he'd read the scriptures, and he was looking for God to fulfill his promises. He was looking to be part of what God was doing in the world today, in the world today. And on this particular morning, having got up, had his wheat bicks, got himself up to the temple, ready for the worship time to begin, in comes Mary and Joseph with the baby. We're told four things about Simeon that's worth considering for our own personal lives. We're told that he was righteous, that he was devout, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and we're told that the Holy Spirit was on him. What is righteous and devout? Righteous and devout means righteous especially. He understood that he was a sinner and he understood that he needed God's grace and forgiveness. And it was through the temple and at that stage through the offering of sacrifices that he sought forgiveness or the covering of his sin. He sought to live out the commitment that he had to God and to live out God's presence in his life. He was righteous, he was devout. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This, that's an expression out of the Old Testament that was used of, the, of looking for the Messiah, looking for the Christ who was going to come. And the, the Christ was called the one who would console Israel, the one who would come to redeem them, the one who would come with forgiveness and cleansing. And so he, was, he knew the promises of the Old Testament scriptures. He knew what God said he would do. And he's there longing and praying, Lord, in my day, come, come, send the Christ. He was eagerly looking for the Messiah to turn up. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It's interesting how Simeon rests a little bit like a ham in a sandwich in a sense because when you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon particular people at particular times for particular events and particular things they needed to do or say. When we move into the book of Acts, as we saw as we worked through Acts last year, on the day of Pentecost, all who believe and trust that Jesus is the Christ receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so here in this centerpiece a little bit is where Simeon has the gift of the Spirit. He has the Spirit is with him. It demonstrates that Simeon had a deep personal relationship with the Lord. That's what it's talking about. That although he was of the Jewish nation, although he went to the temple and he followed all the religious rules and rituals and all the rest of it, it wasn't just a system that he went through, that he actually had personal faith and trust in God. And first, personal faith and trust that God is his God and he is one of God's children and that he longs to grow in that faith and to grow in that trust. And that's how come he is there in the temple when Joseph and Mary come. And so he's open to the prompting and leading of the Spirit. He's walking with the Lord day by day. He's eagerly wanting to see what is going to do, what is God doing in my life today? What is it that I can in this situation, respond in a way that reflects who God is and that God is in my life, constantly looking to do this. And then when Mary and Joseph comes in, he takes the baby and Simeon takes the baby in his arms and praises God and thanks God. And he says, and this is the song that he, that he gives, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Now remember, what is going on here at the same time is that Mary and Joseph has this person who takes the baby, who then says these words over the baby. They're beginning to learn a lot more about who this baby Jesus is. What is God's plan and purpose? What, who he is? What, what, what is happening here? What are, what are we to understand about this child? And you can see how this would have been a very special time in the life of Simeon to actually be there when they come to the temple and to hold the baby. And notice what he says. The first thing is sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord. And those are pretty strong words. They're saying, God, you are the ruler, the absolute ruler of all. That's who I recognize you as being. The one who is in control of the whole of creation. The one who's brought into being and the one who is able to take it all out at the end. You are absolute Lord, sovereign Lord. 
And he talks about himself as, I am your servant. And the word here is the Greek word that can be translated better as slave. And what he's saying is is that I recognise you, that all authority and power rests in you. I see you with all power and authority, and I see as your servant. I see myself as your child. And he said, I've been praying for the Messiah to come, and you have said that I would see the Messiah before I died, and now I see with my own eyes. Now I'm ready to be dismissed in peace. I am content. You have fulfilled your promise. I have waited patiently, and you have fulfilled your promise in my day and my age. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's interesting, the word here, this noun salvation, is, is used a little bit differently here than some other parts of most other parts of Scripture. It, it's used more in the sense, it's quite unique, it's more in the sense that, that Simeon knows that this babe is to be the deliverer, the saviour. He knows that and believes that. But how this baby, how it's going to work it out, how it's going to actually happen, he doesn't really know yet. You know, he's still at the front bit here. He doesn't know all the bits down toward the end. But he said, I believe and trust that as you have sent the Christ, then that which is needed for our salvation will occur in and through him. And he said, this is the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. In the Old Testament scripture, the prophets are constantly saying that the Christ will come, the Messiah will come to save his people, to bring a people to himself, and that this will not be for the Jewish nation only, but it will be for all the nations upon the face of the earth. For many of the Jewish nation, it wasn't easy to believe or even want God to add in as his people the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And at this particular point of time, it was even worse. They were under the Roman authority, and as I said to you, it was a cruel authority, and the Romans were the Gentiles. They were the non-Jews, and they lived under that. And yet here is Simeon in his song saying, God's plan and purpose isn't just for the Jew, but God's plan and purpose is to reach out to all nations, to all nations. You have prepared this in the sight of all nations as a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the non-Jew, and for the glory of your people Israel. When you think about this, it's quite an amazing thing that's being said here. It's saying that Jesus, the Messiah, is a light to the Gentiles, to the whole world. The revelation of God himself. The revelation that God so loved the world that he's given his only begotten son. The revelation that he has taken our penalty and our guilt of our sin upon himself there is forgiveness there is grace there is the gift of eternal life and Jesus is that light reaching out into the whole world and that this will also be to the glory of Israel Israel is not going to be no part of it at all so what does this really mean I think 
When Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Luke 9, he says this. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I wonder if you noticed that when we were moving through the book of Acts in the early part of this year and, and just the last term or so, that the Jewish, the Jewish Christians were having a little bit of difficulty in that there were so many non-Jews who the Lord was giving grace to and who were coming to knowledge of Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And it was a bit of a, a toss-up. Is there going to be a Jewish church and a non-Jewish church? What is going on here? But very clearly, God demonstrated that his mercy and grace is to everyone equally through the face of the earth. And as the Gentile Christians and the Gentile churches began to grow, so did the church in Jerusalem grow. You see, what is this saying? It, it's only as you give that you gain. You know, the evil one says the only way you gain is by walking over everyone else and grabbing it for yourself. Isn't that the way it works? But God is saying, no, 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 no. The way that you grow, the way that you know life is by giving. And it's by giving that you will then receive. And that's the truth that's been worked out within the church ever since. And then while this is all happening, in comes Anna. Anna, a prophetess. And she had been a widow for, what, 80-odd years? And there she is living in the temple, at serving, coming to the worshipping in the this, in this service, and eager to know the Lord, devout and righteous to grow in Christ. And she comes in at that particular time and recognises, because God had spoken to her, that here is the Christ, here is the Saviour, the one that we've all been looking for, for redemption and salvation. What great models we have with Simeon and with Anna. One of the things that I'm really thankful for under God is that I come from a family with, I was really one of the first to come and know the Lord. Uh, my, my grandmother had some faith in Christ, but the rest of the family really nothing at all. And so I was sent off to Sunday school and that's how I come to hear the gospel and come to know Christ. But it was in the church that I grew up in, that, that, that God gave me great models of, of, of uncles and aunties and grandparents and all the rest of it, if you know what I mean, all the different ages. Uh, and we used to go to each other's home a lot. Um, we, well, could you believe we didn't have motor cars and stuff like that or money? And so therefore, it was to each other's home that we would go. And therefore, in each other's home, I would see the model of this person's parents who I knew were Christian parents and the model of this one who were Christian parents. And, and those models really meant a lot to me as I looked back over later in life and saw how God used that and how important it is that we, have, that we look to the models where God has been working in the hearts and lives of people and not just forget about them or lose them. But notice that Simeon and Anna, they don't pop up again. They don't pop up again. They're not rich. They're not famous. They're not great leaders. But they were people who knew and loved the, God, loved the Lord. And the Lord worked a work of grace and used them in this very special way. 
They were faithful believers. They were committed to believe and obey God's word. They were committed to live lives that reflect who they claimed to be, and that was God's children. They were looking for what God was doing in the world, and they were keen to be involved in it. And Mary and Joseph are coming through this same experience now as they are learning more and beginning to understand more. And if you ever have time to just grab something like Luke's Gospel and just begin and just sit and read the lot, it doesn't take over long to do, and read it through. And you'll find Mary and Joseph and, and the other brothers and sisters of Jesus, the disciples, as everything goes along over these next three years of the, of the main, the three years of Jesus' ministry, that slowly but surely their eyes are being opened and they're beginning to see who Jesus really is. And right here in this first beginning, the Lord used Simeon and Anna. God used them to his honour and to his glory. We're never too young or too old to seek to understand God's plan and purpose, to seek to live in a way that's going to bring glory to him and to seek to be used by him that others may come to know him as well. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Let us just pray. Father, we thank you that, that you used Simeon and Anna in this very special way. We thank you, Lord, that you worked that work of grace in their heart. We thank you, Lord, that they, they grew to have such a close personal relationship with you and were just so open to you and, and your spirit working in their hearts and lives and available just to be used by you and to share that witness and to share that testimony. Father, give us that same hunger and thirst to, to know you and to love you, that same hunger and thirst to grow in that knowledge and to grow in that love and that same ability, Father, to be looking forward, longing to be available, to be used by you in whatever way you choose. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think it's fitting for us now tonight to share in the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is when the Lord's, the Holy Communion is when we remember God's great love for us in his son and his death and resurrection and what it means for us. And we're going to share tonight, we're going to use the form of service that we used in the um, 11pm uh, Christmas Eve service uh, down in the, in, in the church. And it's one where there's parts and bits and pieces we're going to join together. Um, we will go through this first part of the service. Then there'll be opportunity for you to come down and to take the bread and the wine. And then we'll eat together and we will drink together. So first of all, let me read. Listen to the welcoming words our Saviour Christ says to all who turn to him. Come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But here also what St. Paul says, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We are the body of Christ. The next slide do we need? Sorry. 
you need the next one again? There we are. We are the body of Christ. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Therefore we lift our voices to you, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We praise you especially for your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who by his death on the cross offered once and for all time the one true sacrifice for sin, reconciling us to you and satisfying your just demands. By rising to new life, Jesus has secured eternal deliverance for his people. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. We thank you, Father, that on the night before he died, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after, after the meal, he took the cup and again giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, Father, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine and pray that we who eat and drink them, believing our Saviour's word, may share his body and blood by faith. Amen. We eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord to proclaim our fellowship in his death. We do this until he returns. Let us take this holy sacrament of the body and blood of Christ in remembrance that he died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Shall we come forward to take the bread and the wine? Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. 
Shelter, tower of refuge and strength.